was trying to see if Brandon was here this morning. Brandon Boyce came by my office uh, this week and introduced me to one of the individuals that was training with him uh, where he works with Cisco. In fact, every time Brandon has a new person training with him, he always brings them by my office. I'm pretty sure I've met every single one of them. Brandon usually tells me something about those people when he comes by, if they're single or married, uh, things that they enjoy doing and those sorts of things. And he always encourages them in my presence. He always says, you know, John, he's a great guy. He's going to be a great addition to our team. We're really glad he's working with us. And as I listen to him, I think, well, if I was training, I would want to be with Brandon. He just makes you feel like a million bucks. Um, But that's just Brandon. And that's how he interacts. That's his personality. He has a lot of good friends because he is a good friend. But let me ask you something. What, what if it looked a little different? Let's change the scenario up a little bit. And, and let's just say that Brandon had one of these new employees tagging along with him for training. But let's just say that Brandon went about his day and he never said a word to these people. <laughs> In fact, he didn't even acknowledge their presence with him. And as he went in and in, introduced himself to his, uh, his uh, clients, he, he never even acknowledged the fact that there was somebody else with him. Now, if that were the case, we would all agree it would be a completely different outcome, wouldn't it? Not only would Brandon fail to uh, fulfill his responsibility of training new employees, he would undoubtedly miss out on building new relationships. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the discipline of prayer. Next to God's Word, I would consider this the single most important practice that we are privileged to carry out in our relationship with the Lord. But like that ongoing conversation that Brandon engages in to to build a relationship, prayer is in a similar way, is that same kind of ongoing relationship that we are privileged to have with God for the same purpose. Our relationship with God deepens, in fact, in proportion to the time that we spend in prayer. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes that point even stronger when he says this. He says, prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. And therefore, it is at the same time the ultimate test of a man's true spiritual condition. There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Just like it would be impossible for Brandon to develop meaningful relationships with those new employees if he never acknowledged their presence with him during the day, so too is it impossible for you and I to develop a meaningful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ if we, too, don't acknowledge His presence with us all throughout the day. My prayer for us this morning is that we would understand this priority and this privilege that we have to go before the throne of grace with confidence and deepen that relationship that we are privileged to have with the person of Jesus Christ. Since we can't have a sermon on prayer without praying, let's do that this morning. God, we do come to you with a desire to better understand what your heart's desire is in the privilege of prayer that you have given us. 
not only given us, called us to, and even further instructed us in. It, it seems to be that important to you. I pray this morning that we would have some clarity and even maybe some redirection from um, the influence of history and culture that might um, shift us from the center of what your heart's desire is. And so, Father, this morning I, I pray that you put us back on center and uh, give us an understanding of what it means to be a people of prayer. We ask this in your name. Amen. As we begin this morning, let me kind of give you my intention. As we talk about this topic of prayer, everybody knows that this is far and wide. There's a lot of things that we could do as we walk into this topic. But this morning, kind of way I want us to look at this is a little bit like sighting in a scope on a rifle. Okay? So if I'm going to go out and shoot targets with a rifle and I haven't sighted in my scope, I can aim all I want to. But if that scope is not sighted in, I'm never going to hit the bullseye. I'm going to be all over the place. Okay? So this morning, the approach I want to take is a little bit like trying to sight in the scope so that when we start shooting at the targets of topics on prayer, that we are accurate because our scope has been sighted in. To me, this morning is the way to sharpen that uh, focus so that we are hitting the targets like we need to be. That's the intent this morning. And as we've done all throughout the spiritual disciplines this summer, my desire is to make sure that everything we say and do is grounded in the precedent and instruction of Scripture. What does the Bible say about prayer? And so that's where we're going to begin this morning. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I think we've actually looked at this uh, verse in a previous... uh, Uh, topic that we've looked at this summer, but let's look at it again. Chapter 5, verse 16. So Jesus has uh, been involved in in life and ministry. And verse 16 gives us some insight into a pattern that we see repeated in his life throughout the Gospels. It says this in verse 16. But he himself, speaking of Jesus, would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. A simple verse, but a very important message. And, and, and I think the point is simple. If Jesus, the Son of God, as a man on earth, took time to slip away and pray, how much more is it necessary for us to do the same? But not only did Jesus do it and exemplify it in his life, as we've talked about before, he... he also instructed us in how to do this as well. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And like we've done in other passages, when we read these verses together, and we will begin in verse 5, there is a repeated phrase in this passage. Okay? And any time we see this repeated, uh, a repeated phrase in Scripture, it should draw our attention to say, God's trying to let us know this is really important Don't miss it. I'm going to say it over and over again. So Matthew chapter 6 verse 5 says this. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go in your inner room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your father 
who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he goes on to describe this prayer. So did you see the repetition? When you pray, when you pray, when you pray, pray in this way. The implication is clear, isn't it? The expectation of Jesus for those who follow him in faith is that we be a people of prayer. And Paul, one of those followers of Jesus, understood this instruction quite clearly because when he then wrote letters to the churches, he re-emphasized this priority. He tells the Colossians in chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. He writes to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So all throughout the New Testament, we are admonished to be a people of prayer. Now, I don't think that anyone here this morning would argue that point. In fact, if I were to ask you, how many of you think prayer is important? I feel certain every single person in this room would raise their hand. Right? Starting right here. Even as a little child. But here's the other question that I might follow up and ask and say, okay then, How many of you pray every single day? If we're honest, I think the hands would dramatically decrease. So why is that? Why is there this disconnect from that which we know to be true and good and that which we practice routinely in our life? I think there's a lot of possible answers to that question, but let me give you what I think are... um, the most apparent reasons or the most significant obstacles to our prayer life. Let me start with the simple and and move to the complex. The simple answer of why we don't commit ourselves more consistently to pray is because we're lazy. That's the simple truth. We simply lack the discipline. We don't take time to pray because we're too easily consumed with the activities of the day. And the last thing that that crosses our mind is taking time to pray. Some of that may be due just to a simple lack of intimacy that we have with Christ. As Martin Lloyd-Jones suggested, prayer is the ultimate test of our true spiritual condition. So if prayer is, is not on our mind, chances are our minds are preoccupied with things of the earth and not of things of heaven. There is no denying that the less we think about God, the less we will pray. See, we we all have to battle. This is a shared struggle that we have as human beings, this, this battle of this inherent inclination towards independence. If If we feel like we're doing pretty good on our own, we really don't have a good reason to pray. Let's be honest. The absence of prayer in our life is a good indication 
that we've convinced ourselves that we really don't need God's help. Prayer demonstrates a heart of dependence. A lack of prayer reflects a heart of independence. But sometimes it it goes much deeper. Sometimes we don't pray because if we're honest, we really don't believe it matters. After all, God's going to do what he wants to do, so why should I waste my breath trying to change his mind? Out of all the reasons I gave you, I, I think this may be the most significant and common. In fact, I think it may be the fundamental reason, whether we admit it or not, for all the other obstacles of prayer. I'm not disciplined because I'm not convinced it matters. I'm too distracted because it probably doesn't matter. I don't ask God because I'm not sure it matters. If it mattered, we would all be a people devoted to prayer, praying without ceasing as Paul admonishes us to be. And if we're not, I believe we have a fundamental misunderstanding of the purpose of prayer. Let me restate that justification I gave you earlier. It said this, After all, God's going to do what He wants to do, so why should I waste my breath trying to change His mind? Now, now that statement, I believe, reveals a basic misunderstanding of the purpose of prayer. The belief that prayer is important because it is the means by which we redirect the hand of God when his actions seem inconsistent with our desire. It's evidenced by the typical focus of our prayer, of health and and happiness and success. We pray for people to be healed from cancer. We we pray for marriages to be restored. We, We pray for new jobs or promotions. And I want to be careful here because I'm not saying those things in and of themselves are bad things to pray for. But when our motivation in prayer, or our fervency in prayer, or the number of people that we can get together to pray, is based on the belief that we can redirect the hand of God to be more consistent with our desire, when we want God to agree with what we think is best, I believe we have misunderstood the purpose of prayer. From a biblical perspective, the fundamental purpose of prayer is not to change the mind of God. The fundamental purpose of prayer is to change the heart of man. Does prayer change things? Yes. But none more significant than me. The primary purpose of prayer is not some secret method by, by which we unlock the, the supernatural power of heaven like some Harry Potter spell. God calls us to pray because it is the means by which we grow in our relationship with our Father by understanding His heart and desire for our life and, and allowing Him to change our heart to be more consistent with what his heart is 
for ourselves and for this world. Prayer, in essence, is an act of surrender. Surrendering to the will of God and choosing to cooperate with that will. We're not changing His mind. He is changing our heart. It's kind of like this. If if I was in a boat and I shot an anchor over to an island and and I got a good solid hold on that. And then I went and grabbed that rope and started pulling. Do I pull the island to me or do I pull myself to the island? I'm pulling myself to the island, right? That island isn't moving. Instead, I'm moving closer to it in the same way. Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but instead is the means of more closely aligning my heart to the sovereign unchangeable, immovable will of God. So pray for that person who has cancer, but not because you're trying to change God's mind. Pray so that He can change your heart in order to trust Him in the midst of things that often we don't understand. Pray for that promotion, but know that that devotion of prayer is often what brings us to a place of contentment in any circumstance. Pray for that marriage to be restored, but know that marriages are only restored when hearts are changed. God invites honest petition. He he tells us to to make our requests known to Him. He invites us to to speak the desires of our heart. And, And so I'm not suggesting that we need to watch what we say. What I am suggesting is that no matter what we say, The answer to our prayer never contradicts the intended will of God and His kingdom purpose in our life. For that reason, at at least for me, there are times when God does things that, that I simply don't understand. His ways are not as my ways. But through my time in prayer, I am increasingly learning to trust his heart when I don't understand the movement of his hand. We're all familiar with the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when when he talks to the people and he teaches them not to worry about things to eat or or things to drink or, or what to wear. He says, don't eagerly seek these things because your Father in heaven knows that you need all these things. In other words, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. We know this is what his point is, because he goes on to say, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Biblical prayer teaches us to view life from a heavenly perspective. His kingdom and his righteousness. And the more we look at life through this lens, the more closely our will is aligned with his And that, ultimately, is the purpose of prayer. So if that's the purpose of prayer, then then what is the power of prayer? I think that's that's a good question. And so what I want us to do is look for some insight into the answer of that question from an example of one of Paul's prayers. So if you will, turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. Go past Philippians, 
where we were at before, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians. I'm going to read it from the ESV. That's what I'll put up here because I think it gives us the clearest uh, translation. It says this, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good in every work of faith by His power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in Him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and he's saying, we pray for you all the time. And when we do, we ask God to make you worthy of His calling as you exhibit the the fruit of faith by His power so that you bring glory to His name when His glory is demonstrated in your life. The power of prayer, according to Paul, is that which brings glory to the name of Christ when we see His glory displayed in the life of His people. It is anything that advances the kingdom of God on earth. So can amazing things happen through prayer? Absolutely. But not as random acts of kindness, kind of like candy being thrown from the balcony of heaven. The power of prayer happens when the people of God surrender themselves to the will of God so that the work of God in their life advances the kingdom of God on earth until he comes again. Now, that's a mouthful. And so I'm going to say it again because I believe this is the central truth that I want you to walk away with. Let me repeat that. The power of prayer happens when the people of God surrender themselves to the will of God so that the work of God in their life advances the kingdom of God on earth until he comes again. There's so many directions that that we could go, so many targets that we could try to hit when we enter into this topic of prayer. But right here is what I believe to be the central biblical truth that we cannot afford to miss. You can kind of think of it like a target. okay? And on that outside circle and the one inside of that, there's lots of important things that are relevant to the topic of prayer. But as we get closer to the center and it gets narrower and tighter, we boil it down to what is essential, that which we cannot afford to miss. And and to me, what we're talking about this morning is the bullseye. It's that centerpiece that we cannot miss to the point that everything else that we might learn about prayer passes through this filter. And so what I want us to do as we finish up our time together is, is talk through this together so that we can understand what it looks like to be a people of this kind of prayer. And so what I'd like to do is pull three attributes from the description I've just given you. And the, the first of those attributes is the fact that it's built upon a relationship. Now, don't miss this. The Bible tells us that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. We're very familiar with that passage, aren't we? And we would all agree that a righteous man gains his righteousness as a gift received through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think it's safe to say that the more we grow in that relationship, the more we see the evidence of 
answered prayer around us. Not because we possess some increasing power in and of our own. Instead, we we see prayers being answered because we become more closely aligned with the heart of God as we grow in the fellowship of that relationship with our Savior. When when Paul tells us to, to pray without ceasing, I think he has this relationship in mind. If Brandon does not acknowledge the presence of those people around him, he does not develop a relationship. We talked about that. In the same way, to pray without ceasing is to have this ongoing awareness of his presence in our life and the recognition of that to the point that there is a consistent communication with him throughout the day. It is an awareness of that freedom, that privilege that we have to go before our Father with confidence, to know that he hears us at any time, at any place, and in any way. Praying without ceasing is simply living out the blessing of the gospel as a child of God. I ran across a conversation that someone recently had with Tim Keller. And they asked him a great question. They said, how do you live out the gospel in your life every day? Well, what intrigued me about his answer is it's relevant to what we're talking about this morning is how he tied it into being a person of prayer. Okay? So listen to what he has to say and... and And uh, see if you can hear this connection. won't be hard to miss because it's how he starts out. He says, I always pray in the morning. Lord, make me happy enough in the grace of Jesus to avoid being proud, cold, scared, and hooked. He goes on, he says, now by proud, I mean what you think. Too self-congratulatory and maybe disdainful of people who don't think, who I don't think have it all together. Cold means I'm just too absorbed in my concerns to really be compassionate and gracious and warm and joyful to the people around me. Scared means I'm just obviously too anxious and worried. Hooked means when you're overworked, it means for me eating, he says, eating things I shouldn't eat just because it's a way of keeping my energy up and also because it's a way of rewarding myself or looking at women more than once. So proud, cold, scared, and hooked. Now, in the middle of the day, he goes on to say, I go before the Lord and I ask, have I been proud, scared, cold, or hooked in the last three or four hours? He says, and the answer usually is, yeah. And so then I say, how do I bring the gospel to bear on that? How does the grace of God deal with it? And you try to catch yourself in those feelings. So basically, finding problem feelings and inordinate desires catching them when they're happening and try to deal with them in light of the gospel through the power of prayer in that moment. He goes on to say, I know the times in which I've been most prone to temptation is when I basically drop-kicked the whole practice, the discipline of prayer, altogether. Now, I don't want you to worry so much about how Tim Keller does it because everybody's going to do it in their own individual way. But what I did want you to hear And to see is how a brother in Christ lives out this reality of dependence upon a relationship and consistent communication through prayer all throughout the day. Because the second attribute of powerful prayer flows out of the first. Our relationship with God in the power of prayer is based upon a heart of surrender. The power of God is never manifested 
in those who stand tall in an outward display of, of strength and dominion. It's never witnessed through an impressive display of, of knowledge and, and understanding and piety. The power of God is always seen in the paradox of the kingdom where the weak become strong. The last are first. The foolish things of the world are used to shame the wise. There is nothing, nothing in all of creation that can overcome the predetermined will of God. It is the ultimate power. And that power of His will is known best through a heart of surrender. When we surrender, we place ourselves in humble submission to the authority of God in our life. The way He works to advance His kingdom in our lives is beyond anything that we deserve, number one, or could even ask or expect or imagine. I do not deny the reality of the miraculous works of God in the world. In fact, I believe the power of God is constantly on display. But I want you to look closely. Because the purpose of his work is never to impress people with his power in order to create a desire for the miraculous in place of the person. His power is never performance. It always has a kingdom purpose. You may remember the story in the book of Acts with Simon the magician who saw the apostles going and, and, and laying hands on those who had believed and put their faith in Christ and, and the Holy Spirit was coming upon them. Luke then records and says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter. For your heart is not right before God. You see, an inordinate desire for the miraculous always reveals a heart that is seeking some personal benefit from the display of God's power. At its source is an issue of pride. Something's not right with your heart. I want you to notice how Simon asked the question. He says, give me the authority to give the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Who has the authority to give the Holy Spirit? God alone. That's all. What the apostles were doing was in submission and obedience to the revealed will of God. In other words, they were only doing what God told them to do. And guess where they probably learned what that was? Through prayer. Surrendering to His will. I don't know if you will remember this, but it's interesting how the apostles respond to Simon after this event had taken place. They say to him, Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord for forgiveness. Humble yourself in prayer. And only then will you experience the power of God in your life. Which brings us to, to the third attribute of powerful prayer. 
praying in the Spirit of the Lord. Jude writes in verse 20 of his letter, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now, I am certain that Jude had no interest in a heavenly language or or speaking in tongues or some supernatural activity because what we know from the context is that he is writing to a very persecuted church. And he is encouraging them to stand strong by depending upon the Lord in that most essential part of our relationship with him in the communication of prayer. I cannot help but, but think about as he talks about praying in the Holy Spirit what Paul wrote to the Romans when he tells them, For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When we pray in the Spirit, our prayer is in harmony with the Spirit and therefore aligned with the purpose and plan and will of God for our lives. Praying in the Spirit is just another way of describing a a humble heart of submission to the will of God so that the work of God can advance the kingdom of God by displaying the glory of God in us. Prayer is the practice through which we deepen our walk with Christ, is the place of complete surrender. And it is the means by which we experience the redemptive power of God in our lives. I, I pray that these are the things that draw us to His presence and the gift that we have to enter into prayer with our Father. Let's do that this morning. Father, we do come to you this morning as your people, surrendering ourselves to your will so that your work in our life advances your kingdom on earth until you come again. May our hearts be changed through our time in prayer so that our lives display your glory and ultimately our lives bring glory to your name. Father, we want to be a people of prayer experiencing the power of prayer, knowing the relationship that we have with you through prayer because we desire to glorify you above all things. May that be the true motivation. We ask this in your name. Amen.